Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And yes, I'm back after missing the opening match day. I must say thank you to the talented Hal Stewart for covering. And Hal, you're much better looking than Frank Ribery. Anyway, let's get to it and let me introduce the guests today. So joining me, as always, is football grad creator Manuel Veth. Manuel, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing very well, Bryce. I had a great night of sleep. I'm very well rested to do the show and I'm really looking forward to speak about the Bundesliga and all the, the things that happened this week. And I'm really looking forward to speak to our special guest today. So I'm very excited. But how are you, Bryce? I'm very well, thank you. I must say that was a very exciting match day. And I'm just um, glad to be back on the podcast. But yes, as uh, Manu mentioned there, we do have a special guest. Chris Williams can't be with us today. He has a clashing bit of work. So that means we've had to drive that also has a phenomenal bit of talent and uh, used to hearing his voice, I'm sure, if you're a Bundesliga fan. And that's James Thorogood, a Bundesliga commentator and, well, podcast host as well, leaving me under a little bit of pressure. James, thank you very much for coming on and what a match day. Oh, what a match day indeed. It is my pleasure to come on as always. Don't you worry. It's not, you don't have to drag me on here at all. I, I come on very, very happily. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's one of those match days where the Bundesliga season, match day one, it gives you, you know, the impression that maybe things are going to go according to predictions and then match day two throws everything out the window and you've got to love it. Oh, absolutely. There, there was uh, plenty of surprises, some not so much surprises, but uh, yeah, there, there, there were definitely surprises in there. James, um, obviously, as I mentioned, you, you're a Bundesliga commentator. Uh, you said you've been very busy uh, at the moment. Uh, what games did you manage to cover this week? Yeah, that's it. I'm a little, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit jealous of Manu's 11 hours of sleep. Uh, I wouldn't have minded getting that a bit over the weekend as well. But I had the Friday night game um, and I had the Sunday evening game. So I had Hertha and Frankfurt to kick things off and I closed the show with Freiburg and Wolfsburg. And yes, I know we had big upsets on this weekend and there were a lot of games with a, a lot of high drama. But I feel like I had two of the better ones, if I'm honest, because a four goal thriller on Friday night where Frankfurt looked really good and Freiburg, Wolfsburg won all. And it may not have looked like a very pretty game, but the intensity levels were right up there. And had things maybe transpired a little bit differently and Nils Peterson had got a late chance instead of Lucas Hurler, Things may have ended up a little differently for Freiburg, but they were two very enjoyable games to commentate. Yeah, I must say it's always nice to start off the weekend, not just listening to your voice, James, 
but um, also getting a four-goal game. So let's get into uh, match day two as we've got plenty to cover. Unfortunately, we've got some sad news to begin the podcast with, and that is two coaches have been relieved of their jobs. So we're going to start with Mainz. On Monday morning, we've seen Akim Bielotzer lose his job after a poor start, uh, losing to Stuttgart over the weekend. That was two games, two losses they've started with. And yeah, things... um, Things haven't been going very well for Mainz, even though they managed to stay up towards the end of last season with a with a few victories. But um, yeah, things definitely weren't pretty there. And after 10 days of the season, um, he has been relieved of his job. Uh, James, was this much of a surprise? I mean, probably more of a surprise than the uh, following coaching uh, talking about. Well, yes and no. Uh, there's an element where I think the timing and how early in the season it is is a little bit surprising. Same with the other one that we're going to talk about later. But if you listen to what's been going on at the club behind the scenes, I think Bayer made a pretty grave error earlier on this season in trying to get Adam Scholle out of the squad. Um, and as a result, that led to the players striking, which I don't think I've ever heard of happening in the Bundesliga before. Um, They weren't happy about the decision. And so therefore, I think it almost left them at this impasse where they couldn't really move forward with Bayerlotza without making the entire squad completely disgruntled. And I have to admit, Bayerlotza struck me as a bit of a strange uh, appointment when he first joined the club after, what was it, nine days uh, after leaving uh, the Köln job or being sacked from the Köln job. I mean, if he keeps that trend up, He'll end up in the Schalke job in a couple of days' time, um, and we can be talking about him again then. But this one, it didn't surprise me because he'd lost the faith of his players uh, and Mainz needed to do something, and I think their performance on the weekend really was maybe the final nail in the coffin. Yeah, and it, it definitely proved to be. Um, Manu, we were saying that, you know, it's, well, not I suppose a surprise because of early doors uh, in the season, but possibly a condensed season. Would, would that um, make Mainz... Uh, jump a bit quicker I suppose and I suppose if you lose the players um, a little bit like it's James said you know that that's that's kind of it for you isn't it yeah I, I mean I think the player strike is probably what did it and um, James uh, this actually happened once before in 1984 um, erst after Nuremberg the players went on strike and uh, so, I knew you'd mention it Manu I knew you would know <laughs> Yeah, it's um that was the that's the only time I think that I can like remember um out of the top of my head. I mean I can't even remember it. I was born that year. I just you know Bundesliga folklore kind of. Um but it has happened before and it was, you know, I can't remember all the details of 84, so I think you can google it. I think bundesliga.com has a really good segment about it if I'm not mistaken. But it has happened before. And I think when players go on strike, you just, that's when you lose the dressing room like that. And, and then, um, you know, you hear the sort of things that have been unearthed at mines, um, from, you know, even during the summer preparation, but also going back to last year where it, where they just avoided relegation. Right. And I think that there was, there was definitely problems between the coaching staff and the players. And then that's just, that's just a situation where you that's unfixable in my opinion um the thing that bothers me maybe about this decision at this point and i'm curious what you think about this james if you know you have all these problems right the season ends you know how you have all these problems 
Then you go through the summer, you go through summer preparation. And I know this year's summer preparation because of COVID was different. It was a bit shorter. It was, you know, there wasn't quite as much time, but why carry those problems into the new, new season? Why not just make a cut in the summer and try to bring in a new coaching staff and sort of try to fix those cracks before they became, become too big? Because that's the feeling that I've gotten that the cracks became so big and, the suspension of Charlie and then the player strike. I mean, that was, as you, as we said, this is only the second time really that there's been a player strike at a club. And I mean, if the cracks are so deep at that point, why didn't they not go and fix it earlier on? That's maybe the only question I have with this. I think it's a fair question as well. And my answer to it would be, I think in the current times, I think a lot of the clubs were afraid to add even more instability and even more uncertainty to a situation that for everyone, no matter how deep their squad is and how settled they may be, even Freiburg, Christian Strike, longest standing head coach, I bet you they face challenges this summer. And I think for that reason, we saw teams opt to be precautious. And now we've seen the season start and they've gone, oh, I don't think we can afford to be precautious. And I think it was Derek Ray that tweeted it. Um, before to before today, only three previous head coaches had been let go this early in a season. Now we've had two in the space of two days um, on match day two, which is a really phenomenal statistic. But I do think it is a case of the pandemic and the ongoing challenges that clubs are facing. It is making them be more precautious, but also panic quicker. And I think we've seen Schalke and Mainz panic a little bit, but I think they had every right to panic based on what was going on. Um, but therefore, I think that's why it's playing into the decision making when it came to we won't do anything in the summer. We'll try and keep things stable. Um, and unfortunately, it just didn't work out for those two clubs. Manu, if we're looking at the future, I mean, where where would Mainz hope to finish you know, in the Bundesliga? I mean, what is their goal? And is there anyone that you can think that comes to mind that, that would be a good fit for the club? Yeah, I think Manuel Baum was mentioned today and as a possible replacement. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I know he wasn't, I know his time in Augsburg and it didn't end quite that well either. Um, but I think that's an interesting name and it's, it's, um, a name that maybe would also fit to Mainz in some ways, you know, to start to, the statue of the club and, um, the, the work that he's done previously at a club that's pretty much a similar level in Augsburg, right? So interesting name. I'm not sure that that's the direction that they're actually going to go, but that's, I, I can see it. Um, as for finishing the season, I think Mainz, they, they're the same as Freiburg or Augsburg. I think their season is a success when they don't get relegated. And I don't mean this in any mean way. I, I think that's, that's really for them. That is a success story. And I mean, they have done it for so many years, right? Freiburg, Augsburg and Mainz have been in this league for quite some time now without getting relegated. And for them, every year where they don't get relegated, that's a successful year. And maybe, you know, every once in a while, slip into that top six, make it into Europe, have a good year, but or maybe have finished in a, in a single digit spot in the Bundesliga. I think those are the sort of things that, that Mainz are always hoping for. But like, look, this is a team that's always going to fight relegation first and then um, revalue the season once they reach that magical 40 points. And I think that is that is the expectations. So I guess they thought with Achim Bayerlotzer in charge that that goal of 
just staying in the Bundesliga was in jeopardy. Yes, indeed. It's definitely not been the start that they would have wanted. And with the three games coming up, they've also got tricky opponents in Union, Bayer Leverkusen and Borussia Mönchengladbach. So so things are, are going to be rather challenging at Mainz. We'll just have to wait and see who gets the hot spots. OK, so um, as James uh, mentioned, uh, Schalke is the other side that we're going to talk about. And many people saying that this isn't particularly, well, it isn't even news, I suppose, because uh, David Wagner has failed to win a game since January uh, with Schalke and uh, things were looking rather poor. And they they have done before uh, the return of football. Uh, So it's been quite a while of, of Poor performances and poor results. And the late kickoff on Saturday, seeing them take on Werder Bremen and lose 3-1 while at home. So, yeah, James, as I said, this isn't surprising at all, really, is it? It, it, it felt like it was a long time coming. And it, it's another coach that's been to Schalke, tried to straighten things out, and it just hasn't worked. Yeah, uh, another another head coach that's been ruined by the Royal Blues is kind of the way I look at it as well, because uh, Wagner's got things to like about his approach, uh, his demeanor and just, you know, his his track record as well. You know, what he did with Huddersfield was was fantastic. Um, But Schalke right now, and I'll be honest, I wrote an article for for Deutsche Welle about it today, but that job is a poison chalice right now. And uh, I can't think of a more apt description. And even someone coming in now is going to struggle. But if the final nail in Achim Bialotz's coffin was, you know, the player strike. Uh, then the final nail in David Wagner's, uh, David Wagner's uh, coffin was definitely losing to Werder Bremen, who, you know, as we know, scraped through uh, survival by the skin of their teeth last season. I think that really put into perspective just where Schalke still are at the start of the season after a preseason. But the fact is, I think the only surprising element of this Wagner situation is the fact that he made it 18 games without a win before he got sacked. And whereas Bialorza, I can understand the rationale at Mainz uh, with them holding on to Bialorza for the new season and hoping that they could paper over the cracks that Manu mentioned. Whereas with Schalke, it really did baffle me that they stuck by uh, Wagner. I think it's, you know, it's admirable, but things really weren't going well. Um, the players really had abandoned him uh, in the back half of last season and especially after the coronavirus pandemic hit. And I think for Schalke, it's it's exacerbated everything. But I was thinking about it the other day uh, and in writing this article today, but I feel like Schalke, given the form they were in when the league got put on hold, they, I feel, mentally struggled to ever recover from the negativity that they would have just been surrounded by on a daily basis while they're in lockdown. And I think that never shifted um, when they came back. I think Wagner maybe probably probably tried to do things behind the scenes, but they just never even showed signs of being the same side that we saw in the first half of the season that were actually very good and produced relatively good performances. And you thought, right, okay, it may not be enough for a top four finish, may not be enough for a top six finish come the end of the season, but it was definitely an improvement. And then that all changed. And their decline has been significant over the last couple of years. And this is yet another notch in that decline that speaks volumes of not just the problems they're having on the pitch when it comes to the squad they've got at their disposal. Because, yeah, Wagner can take some blame for the, the, you know, the tactics he came up with. He can take blame for the fact that he came in preaching attacking football and then produced rather uninspiring performances. 
uh, with his, you know, you know, ragtag band of misfits is kind of the way I look at them right now, because there's no core, there's no quality to Schalke. And he's he's suffered for all of that. But there are many problems that he is not responsible for, that he should not shoulder the burden for. And that comes down to finances. That comes down to the way they've reinvested uh, transfer funds that have come into the club from academy players that have been big money uh, sales. You know, Leroy Sane, Julian Drax, Attilo Kera. But there have been big mistakes made along the way. And all of those have led to one of the most unstable clubs I've ever seen in the Bundesliga up there with Hamburg right now, I think, in terms of that level of instability. And I don't think it's going to end well, if I'm honest. Yeah, that's it, James. I, I mean, we, we spoke about it plenty on this podcast, and I think everyone you're into the Bundesliga talks about it plenty, that you know, Schalke seem like a bit of a mess, really, at the moment. And you know, Dim Wagner does have to take some responsibility for the performances and the results, but you know, it goes much beyond that, doesn't it? Manu, I mean, where do you even begin with a side like Schalke? There's there's even talk that some of their players might be leaving before the transfer window shuts. Well, we know that Ozan Kabak, for example, has been linked to um, Liverpool. He's been linked to Inter Milan. He's been linked to Bayern Munich. This is a player who's, who's in high demand, right? And Schalke need that money. So, um, that, that just adds to, you know, the fact that I, I mean, Harit was another one. It's very, very much in demand as well and around Europe. Um, and then Weston McKenney, I think this is a player who they lost and is now playing for Juventus and, and starts for Juventus in Serie A, um, which shows in my, Weston McKenney was never a flashy player, but you just see his value. Uh, in the fact that he's now playing for one of the best teams in Europe in central midfield, right? And fulfilling a very key role there. And that's, 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 that's substantially a big problem. And then, then of course, this whole, James mentions that the, the decision making at Schalke has been poor for years. It has been poor for years. This has been going on for at least four or five years, right? Of poor decision making and, I don't mean the, the in the very foundation of the club because they probably have one of the best youth development academies in in the world, not just in Germany but in the world. But the fact that players always leave for next to nothing is a huge problem. And then on top of that, they're bringing in all these names that just don't really quite fit. Um, it's it's a bunch of misfits at the moment at Schalke. And that doesn't happen overnight. And I think that's just that where, so where do we put Schalke at the moment with all these problems? It's just, it's kind of mind boggling that we taking an institution like Schalke and they are an institution. They are the second biggest football club in Germany by membership ahead of Dortmund, just behind Bayern, right? This is a massive football club. And the fact that it got so quickly out of hand. Um, I mean, James, you and I, we spoke off the pod and said, but it's probably got accelerated by COVID, right? Um, this would have happened anyways, but this just speed it all up. So, yeah. yeah um, I mean, where, how do you even fix a situation like that? That's, that's really the big question. And how do you bring in names to fix it? And how do you convince players to stay at this situation? And how do you even convince players? Because every time you sell a player, they haven't replaced Weston McKinney because they can't. They don't have the money. But how do you replace someone like Amina Harit? How do you replace, replace someone like Ozan Kabak? And I know Kabak uh, did a big boo-boo this weekend. Um, 
you know, which is he's going to get investigated for and he's going to get fined and he's probably going to uh, be suspended for. But he's still one of the biggest defending defensive talents in, in European football, right? So like even with the boo-boo, he's, he's still a player that you need to replace eventually. It's, it's hard. And I think it's almost like this downward spiral and it just goes faster and faster and faster. And, um, this acceleration of, with COVID, I think, I mean, when James, <laughs> you kind of alluded to, but this is a club that I think is facing relegation this year. Oh, I think it's a very realistic possibility uh, unless they can find a short-term solution. And uh, yeah, we were talking off the pod and we were drawing the comparisons between Hamburg and and Schalke. And I think this is the the point for me is that with a team like Hamburg, we saw this decline happen over the course of several years and it was this gradual decline. And yes, I agree, coronavirus has accelerated, but the decline at Schalke was a big drop-off. And... I think the Domenico Tedesco season where he finished second, I mean, he looks like a miracle worker, an absolute miracle worker for the season he pulled off there with the squad that he had. Um, And really, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's really, everything's going wrong. And Bryce put it perfectly. It's really where to start. There are on the field problems. There are off the field problems. Uh, It's over. It's around about 200 million euros debt that Mm. they're in. They only survived the coronavirus pandemic because of an injection from the state and a guarantee of financial aid um, because they were themselves said, and I think they were the first club uh, in the Bundesliga to come out and admit this, but they were in an existential crisis yeah. because of the coronavirus pandemic. And that is because of years of mismanagement of them chasing this. We want to be a top four regular and making the same mistakes that Hamburg did in the past, that Bremen did in the past, which was we're in the Champions oh. League. We're back ourselves to get in the Champions League again. We'll invest heavily and uh, hopefully it'll pay off. And it didn't pay off for Schalke, and it didn't pay off for Bremen, and it didn't pay off for, for Hamburg. And they're all struggling for similar reasons, and they're all the same problems. The biggest problem for me, I feel, over the last year with Schalke, and I'm, not, I'm talking mm. off the pitch here, is they've really lost the sense of club identity and club culture. And I think they've lost touch with that a little bit. Um, the fact that there was a, a, a basically a, a, a meeting set up so that current employees at the club could voice concerns about what was going on at the club where they were afraid to speak out about some of the decisions that were being made like that's not a great look for a club like Schalke that claimed to be really connected with their fans and they've had so much instability over the last couple of years I mean uh, Wagner is the uh, is the 10th head coach that's been sacked in the last 11 seasons right and so this is now that we're heading into the 12th season we're going to have an 11th different head coach over that time for Schalke and at what point are you giving these players any chance to really create a relationship with a head coach, with the club, where they want to stay? You're, you're showing no sense of stability. The marketing potential of Schalke is huge because you're right. Uh, they are an institution, Manu. Mm-hmm. But the way they've sold themselves over the last couple of years has been terrible. And I look back at it was the, the glory, the last glory year really for them. They had Huntelaar and Raul up front. And they, those guys were scoring goals for fun. And they had, you know, big names in the squad as well with them. And they haven't been able to attract that talent since. On top of that, they've sold their best talent out of the academy. Recently, the academy has dried up a little bit. But that's to be expected because they can't be producing stars every year. And it's all coming together as this terrible mix of things going wrong for Schalke. And that is why, unless they can find the ideal candidate, and I'm not sure there's an ideal candidate out there, if I'm being honest, but a short-term fix is what they need. 
But again, that's been their strategy problem. They've always gone short term and not gone long term. That's why they're in the situation they're in. But now they're in their backs are against the wall. They have no other options. Champions League semi-finalists 10 years ago, James. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, like a... No, it was a. De- they did. Oh, okay, I'm not going to remember the numbers completely off the top of my head, but it was over the course of one decade. They were regulars in Europe and uh, regulars in the top four, and then in the last decade, they've had I think seven or eight bottom half of the yeah. table finishes. Yeah, that Champions League semi-final feels like a very long time ago. You know, as James even said, you're Tedesco being there and getting them second, getting them back into the Champions League. That feels like a long time ago as well, doesn't it? Uh, they're going to have uh, RB Leipzig uh, coming up next, and that's not exactly going to be an easy fixture either. Um, James kind of alluded to he doesn't really know who the ideal man to take over is. Uh, Manu, have you got any suggestions, or is, is anybody out there writing who is possibly going to come in for Wagner? Well, it's funny that they have RB Leipzig next, because Ralf Rangnick would probably be the only man that could fix the club. And he has sort of has sort of said he's available, but has also said he isn't um in various press um in the various press rounds that he was. I think he was on Sky 90 yesterday and said he wasn't, but then he also said earlier that day that he has that he has no obligations at the moment. So yeah, I think and I again I spoke about this off the podcast, James, but I agree with you. I think Ralph Rangnick knows exactly his worth, and I think he's only going to take over a club if he is the only strong man. If he is the man who can make all the decisions, and that would mean that the likes of um Jochen Schneider would have to take a step back or maybe even being made redundant, right? Because I think Ralph Rangnick will wanna be sporting director, coach, um in in both roles at the club and i think that's going to going to mean that schalke will have to make a very radical change here once again so i think that's the only way you're going to get someone like ralf rangnick um for a laugh james you're going to appreciate this peter neuruhr has said he's available <laughs> hey you know what that's you know it, as crazy as it sounds that's not the worst suggestion i've heard for the Schalke job because you need it you are going to need a strong character in there and Neuruhr at the very least is a strong character that would give the fans someone to identify with as well yeah uh, Manu just for any listeners that don't know who he is can, can you ex- elaborate a little bit it's going to be hard for me uh, to describe who Peter Neuruhr is without laughing yeah, do, it, do it really quickly do it really quickly Manu <laughs> you've got it in a very short way it's definitely possible <laughs> Just like a bandaid. Oh, man. Peter Neuruhr is a Bundesliga institution. He has gone from saving every big club from relegation um, to basically working every television show on uh, the planet that speaks, that's, that's run in German um, and then covers soccer, um, claiming that he would probably guide Bayern Munich to a Champions League title. There you go. Now more than ever, it's important to keep your family's garments free from bacteria. Fortunately, the Turbo Extreme Steam handheld steamer kills 99.9% of bacteria on face masks, shoes, coats, and any other garments they may wear when they venture outside the home. It's the most powerful handheld steamer with the turbo setting that quickly smooths away even the toughest of wrinkles. Works great on all kinds of clothes, delicates, shirts, you name it. 
Heats up fast and gives clothes that professionally pressed look in minutes. Try it and find out for yourself. Go to conair.com and search Turbo Extreme Steam. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Well, well, I think him him getting the job at Schalke and keeping them in the Bundesliga would probably be a more challenging uh, prospect uh, at the moment. But let's just wait and see if if that possibly does happen. Uh, But, uh, guys, obviously that was um, two big bits of news for us. Um, A lot of people will say that they find it hard to believe that the two biggest bits of news weren't uh, on the field, and that was Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich both losing. Yeah, you don't hear that very often, do you? But let's start with champions uh, Bayern Munich. This game was sandwiched in between two Super Cup games, one a European one, which they they seen uh, past uh, Sevilla. And uh, neither went on to uh, play Hoffenheim on Sunday and lose 4-1. That's right, 4-1. Uh, their first loss in 21 Bundesliga games um, also the first time that Hansi Flick's side have been outshot in a game. And yeah, this this was not meant to happen. This this was not a, a prediction anyone's seen coming. Um, even people that aren't into the Bundesliga were messaging me uh, yesterday and today saying, what's happened there then? So James, what exactly has happened? Well, can I be honest? Can I toot my own horn just for a second? Because you said no one predicted it. And I'll be honest, right before the game, I put a cheeky little bet on Hoffenheim. And I was very, very glad I did. Um, but that was good not, work, just, James. There you go. That's <laughs> just me doing my own order. But no, um, it's it, it was such an important result for the Bundesliga. If I can look big picture really quickly before we look at what was on the pitch for the Bundesliga, it was so important that Bayern, a side that were weary after 120 minutes in the Super Cup in midweek against Sevilla in a very intense game, where they, you know, as they always do, leave it all on the line uh, and came away with a victory uh, and the title. It was important that the weary Bayern side are able to be beaten by Hoffenheim. Uh, the manner in which it happened was surprising. Hoffenheim, I think, really, they came up with a fantastic game plan. Uh, and they managed to do what a lot of other sides have wanted to do against Bayern, but failed to do, which is take advantage of that high back line. Uh, and they did it remarkably well. But I would look at this as a, a minor blip for Bayern. Um, I think they will be disappointed with the manner of the result, but not with the result itself. Um, I mean, they've got the winning gene, right? They, they hate they hate losing at any cost, but I think they'll be able to swallow this one in light of the uh, packed schedule they've had at the start of this season. Um, but, I mean, brilliant for Hoffenheim. I think we need to give Sebastian Hernes a, a lot of credit. Uh, I think when he finished as the title winners in the Dritte Liga with Bayern's reserve team, he really got overlooked. His achievement got completely overlooked. And the reason why was because everyone focused on how bad it was for the lower leagues of German football, the Bayern's reserves of winning the third tier. And of course, in German football, uh, you can't have two uh, two teams representing the same club in the top two tiers. So the reserves for Bayern couldn't get promoted, even though they won the title. Um, but because of that, that was the focus. And everyone didn't really look at Sebastian Hernes. The good news is that Hoffenheim did. 
uh, and they may have found uh, you know uncovered a bit of a coaching gem here um, because I think the the signs at the start of this season are very promising. This result over Bayern was emphatic. I mean, Hoffenheim do have a good record against Bayern historically as well, we should point out. So it hasn't come out of the woodwork. I mean, they beat them last season as well. Um, it was uh, Sargis Adamian had a, you know the game of his life on that occasion. Um, but this was a surprising result, a great result for the Bundesliga. But I'm yeah, I think it is told the right story because I think the fear after the 8-0 Schalke win was that Bayern were going to run away with this again. And while this is still very early doors and Bayern tend to turn it on later on in the season, it is nice to see after the things that they produce in their treble winning season that they are human after all. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, fantastic work by Hoffenheim. And you know, once again, it's it's great to see a club um, take, well, I, as much as Sebastian Hohn is, is a great coach uh, and he's proved that last season, it is a bit of a gamble to take someone that hasn't managed in the Bundesliga before. And that's why we love the Bundesliga or one of the reasons. Anyway, uh, Manu, should Bayern be concerned about this um, performance and this result? Uh, a lot of people saying that they look tired. Um, I mean, there, there's going to be a lot of fixtures this season thick and fast um is it a concern for Bayern you know is this going to be for other teams to go out and you know pick them off while they're they're struggling to win every match like they seem to do last year I think it is a concern and I think we're going to talk about this in just a moment because of I think the lack of depth in the squad they did an article on that yesterday on Forbes when when you take out the players that left, right? Um, Perisic, uh, Thiago, Coutinho, um, even Alvaro Odrio Sola, right? Four players gone. Uh, Javi Martinez could still be on his way out. Um, we had the breaking story that Mikel Cousins, um, it looks like he's on his way out. That's, that's seven players potentially gone. They have three goalkeepers, uh, sorry, four goalkeepers in their first team, right? Um, so that's, out of the current squad of 26, that's another six, uh, sorry, out of the current squad of 25, that's six players that, um, don't really count in squad depth because like goalkeepers and uh, potential players leaving. Then they have filled up their squad with Adrian Fine, Jamel Muziala, uh, Chris Richards is in that current squad as well. So really we're only talking about 15 to 16 real first team players and the schedule this year is, I mean, as you said it, games coming thick and fast. And it's, it's, they they played the DFL Super Cup on Thursday, um, then the game on Sunday that they lost. And I think fatigue was a big reason. Um, 100% I also agree with everything that James said. Hoffenheim made the most of it because we've seen too many Bundesliga sides in the past not challenging Bayern when they when they look tired, playing way too negative of a game plan and not not making, you know, not not trying to capitalize of the fact that Bayern are weekend. So good for them. And I think that was, that was fantastic. But I think it is a concern for Bayern because it, it, it just shows that this squad is not deep enough. And I think that is, that is a fact. If they want to win a treble again, um, they will have to bring in some players at some point because you can't, you can't play this schedule with essentially 15, 16 first team players. That's just not possible. It's just impossible and you, you, and they will, they will get caught out quite a bit if they, if they decide to go that route, right? 
And I think maybe that is the biggest hope for the Bundesliga, right, James? The fact that Bayern right now, they have probably the best 15 players on the pl on the planet, but it's really hard for them to replace those players and rotate those players at the moment. So I think that might be the biggest hope for the Bundesliga right now, that this side is beatable, not because they're not good, but because they're just not deep enough. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point to make. Yeah, if if, if Hoffenheim needed to capitalize on the opportunity to beat Bayern, this weekend, then the Bundesliga as a collective needs to capitalise on Bayern potentially not being at full strength this season. It's 57 competitive matches. Oh if, if they stay in all their competitions yeah. that they'll play this season in the space of 253 days, and that's on the back of everything they've gone through last season um, and the fact that it has been a condensed summer break and everything. And this is it. it the, the overarching theme here is that the coronavirus is having a big, big effect on the Bundesliga this season, as we expected. And the fact that it's even affecting Bayern, because let's be honest, Manu just made the points about all the departures. And that's so uncharacteristic of a team like Bayern, not just to have that many people leave, but to not have people that were lined up, ready to come into the club in anticipation of those players leaving so that they knew they had everything covered. Now, Hansi Flick, for me, is a great man to maybe take charge of some of these youngsters that are coming through that Manu mentioned. And I like the fact that Bayern are trying to do that because we haven't seen them do that in a long time and it has been a criticism of them. Um, but I agree, the depth there is, is a concern and the Bundesliga needs to be ready to capitalise on Bayern letting things slip a little bit more often this season because they've had windows of opportunities in the last couple of seasons and they haven't been taken but this window is going to be bigger than any of the other ones before it. And uh, that, yes, in the the context of the Bundesliga constantly being criticised for the fact that Bayern win it every season, that would be a very good thing. Yeah, and I would even go as far and say that because Bayern were more challenged the last two years, that's actually helped them in Europe, um, especially Agreed. this year, right? Because I feel like the Champions League trophy was almost the easiest for them um, in 2019-20. In but of course, also that Champions League trophy was won in, on August 24th, I believe, right? So that's a month ago. So they didn't really have any time to rest, um, which of course then also creates a huge opportunity for everyone else. Well, plus, I don't know about you, Manu, but I feel like the Champions League finals tournament played perfectly into their hands. Yeah. Because if there's ever a team that's set up like a World Cup winning squad, it's Bayern Munich. With a um, World Cup winning coach. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't think we knew that about Hansi Flick, but I mean, what he has achieved is is spectacular, to yeah. say the least. And Manu, James made a point that, you know, with the coronavirus, um, you know, affecting football in several different ways that maybe Bayern haven't, you know, got players that lined up to, to walk into the, you know, the, the open spaces that are left by departing players. But you know, is there no talk of any players coming in or, or anyone lined up at all with, with the transfer window? you know, door uh, shutting rather soon. Yeah, in a week. Closes in a week. And the only player that they had lined up is now going to sign for Barcelona. And, um, you know, the look, this, this, this whole Sejino Dest transfer saga, um, I was told by people within the club that they had the deal wrapped up and signed with the player. And then Hassan Saleh Hamicic made a very low bid to Ajax, which, um, for the lack of better words, pissed them off royally. Uh, they were very angry over in Amsterdam. Um, he made a 10 million euro offer for a player that before COVID hit, um, Bayern and Ajax were close to agreeing a deal with for around 25 million euros. Um, they quickly contacted Ronald Koeman, right? And many of us thought 
that this whole Barca transfer saga was just a smokescreen for them to getting more money, but it ended up being quite serious and Barcelona ended up getting the player. Oh, it looks like, I mean, it's not over yet. Bayern are working very hard on reconvincing Sejino Des to sign for them after all. So I, we, we might be sitting here tomorrow and Bayern might have pulled it off after all. I don't think that's likely, but, um, it could happen, but it, it shows you that they've been working on that transfer since January. And now at the final hurdle, it seems like it's collapsing. And I, James and I have covered this league long enough to remember Uli Hoeneß and the way he's done transfers. They would target a player. They would speak to the player. The player would sign and it would just happen. And it wouldn't be done not in the last week of the transfer window. It would be done before they even start training camp. And they've yeah. done none of that. Hassan Salihamidzic has done none of that. He's, this is, this is what the third or fourth transfer that he's worked on where it either fell apart or it took over a year for it to be completed. I mean, look at, look at Lucas, um, Lucas Hernandez, right? That took six months and it was dragged through every newspaper on the planet. Then look at, uh, Callum Hudson Odoi. Apparently they're yeah. interested in him again. That's being dragged Still, through yeah. every newspaper on the planet. This whole Sahino test mess. And it is an absolute mess because they had a contract agreed with him. And it is, it's infuriating because I know a bunch of us journalists, we were all told this is done. And now we look like idiots because the guy is signing for Barca. This is probably why I'm angry because it makes us look like idiots because we believed our information was good. But somehow now Puff, he's going somewhere else. And now they're selling uh, cuisines, right, for twenty million. That's that's a lot of money. But where is the replacement? Where is Thiago's replacement? Where is the replacement for a right back? Where is the additional winger that they're going to need to replace even Perisic? And they have one week. October fifth is when the window shuts. This isn't. I I I have never seen Bayern. Um, and this has been going on for two years, being so ineffective on the transfer market. This is a club that got things done quickly and effectively. And right now that's not happening. Yeah, Timo Ven is another one, just yeah. to throw another name in that Sally Hamidic definitely botched in terms yeah. of a deal because it seemed like that was a done deal and they oh, obviously I got the story on that one, James. Well, okay, do you know what they do you know what they did to, to, to piss Timo off? Yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> I I'd ask you to share, but I'll let you choose. Probably can't. Are we allowed to share that yet? Um, Probably not. It was pretty. I'll, I'll wait till we're off air. We're, we're oh, doing... Obviously, we're I, obviously, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go the other way and say, yeah, of course, it's fine. I, you know, I, I'll. People will probably ask me, but I don't think it's shareable yet. But it was pretty bad, and it was, I, it was on, it was on Hassan. Um, I can we, say we, that much. We'll, we'll leave it for another day, yeah. I think. You know, we'll, well, there's plenty of time to discuss that in the future, I think. But uh, yeah, Bayern Munich, um, unsurprising with their transfers, unsurprising with the uh, result of the weekend. Uh, they're going to have uh, a Super Cup, the German Super Cup, coming up on Wednesday evening against Borussia Dortmund. And that's where we move on to them. So Borussia Dortmund at the weekend uh, failed uh, to capitalise on Bayern uh, dropping some points. Yes, it was the day before, but they lost to Augsburg. So, um, yeah, I mean, Manu, we'll, we'll go back to you on this. I know that you were watching. I was messaging you at the, at the time of watching it. And, yeah, unexpected this, but also maybe not that unexpected. We, we've discussed that, you know, Dortmund and Lucien Favre, they... 
they seem to do this every so often, don't they? They 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 drop the ball. They they you know, they don't take advantage of you know, other teams slipping up around them. And this feels like you're know, a real missed opportunity. So the reason why I had Bayern as a topic first and Dortmund as a topic second on this uh, on our on our, <laughs> our sheet is because this result is just so much more infuriating when you see the Bayern result, right? So I felt like we had to talk about Bayern first, um, even though that game was second. Because it's so infuriating that Dortmund have dropped points against a team where they have, and I respect how Augsburg played. Their game plan was magnificent. But if you want to win the title and you have 80% possession and you have all these amazing players and you have the opportunity to perhaps capitalize on Bayern slipping, you have to win this game. This game has to be won. You know, and this is, I find this, this is just, this is the Bayern also losing the game is just the cherry on top on Borussia Dortmund's failure to capitalize on this. And we've seen this so often in the Bundesliga where even when Bayern are not at the best, and I actually think that they were ripe to be picked last year in the Bundesliga. I mean, they were tremendous in the Champions League and which earns them all the accolades that they deserve. And they were tremendous in, you know, the cup competitions, but they were they could they were ripe to be picked last year as well when when Leipzig were four points ahead of them the year before Dortmund were eight and nine points ahead of them twice and at, at that point no one has actually ever given up that big of a lead at that point of the season to still lose the title right so Dortmund um, definitely should have won the title that year so twice in a row um, they were ripe to be picked and I think they they someone could actually capitalize on all the problems that they're facing right now as well. But then you cannot slip against Augsburg. And I think that's really what makes this so infuriating, right? Because James, how often do we say, okay, well, Bayern, I actually, this is a, this is a much more difficult league than it appears. And yes, Bayern are such a big powerhouse and they have all the money, but this is not an unbeatable team. And the problem in the Bundesliga, in my opinion, is not that Bayern are so big and overwhelming. The problem is that the other teams in the Bundesliga do not make the best out of the opportunities that are given to them when Bayern do struggle. Yeah, and it's, it, it is the big problem, and it's the big criticism that's been leveled at Dortmund over the last couple of seasons, and rightly so for exactly what you just outlined there, Manu. It's these results as well that coming into this new season, you just needed them to avoid dropping unnecessary points for as long as possible, to avoid this narrative seemingly continuing into the season. And we were talking about it off air before we started the show, Manu, but it does feel like the seasons have kind of bled into one another um, because the summer break was a little bit shorter. It almost felt like a winter break instead. And when it comes to winter breaks, we're used to things then, you know, picking straight back up afterwards and the ball rolling again. And that is what it's felt like. But Dortmund needed to get rid of this narrative of they're going to drop unnecessary points against, you know, at unnecessary times against unnecessary opponents. And unfortunately, they've done it straight away on match day two. Um, and that's not the best look because they should have every ambition of beating Augsburg comfortably like they did twice last season. Um, and yeah, Augsburg, we need to give them great credit, as we did with Hoffenheim because both of them drew up good game plans that were able to capitalize on weaknesses. And uh, and ultimately, they then had to take those chances. And they did. Um, and Augsburg, I mean, they're a side that I find personally quite endearing. I think their story's been quite nice since they've come into the Bundesliga and won promotion with Luhukai and the fact that they every year seem to prove everyone wrong when everyone kind of pits them and, and tips them to be relegated by the end of the season. Yet somehow they get it done. And it is this 
team spirit with Augsburg that uh, a lot of other teams in the Bundesliga could really use, especially this season when I think team spirit may actually win you a few more points than it would in a normal season. And it's in games like this. Um, and so, yeah, Dortmund is, is just a massive setback for them. And it's a shame that it came so early. I do believe they'll recover, but they can't afford to do this. They did it last season. Uh, you know, it was the draws against Paderborn. Uh, and Werder Bremen, you look back on, uh, there were losses to Union Berlin, and you go, right, this is, we're looking at it. If you, if you can change those results, Dortmund, then you've got every chance of going one better than you have the last couple of seasons and beating Bayern. And then match day two, they, they lose to Augsburg. And it's not just the fact that they lose to Augsburg. I also do believe that the manner in which they lost this match is really uh, not a great side because it is, it's just going to rear up the same discussion points about mental fragility in this squad. And I think that's what they needed to avoid as long as possible. But don't get me wrong, Dortmund's still a very fun side to, to watch and they will be going forward this season. And I, I do believe that like with Bayern against Hoffenheim, this will be a blip. I just think it's going to be a bigger blip for Dortmund. Um, and I think they, based on their track record over the last couple of seasons, and I'm sure some of the thoughts that are playing in the back of their minds, it's just going to exacerbate those feelings uh, and not help them. And I think they needed help at the start of the season. They didn't have a great preseason. Uh, they looked good against Gladbach. And then to do this against Augsburg, it kind of, it just feels like it undoes all the good work that had been done. Yeah, a team that endears um, you and Manu both, Augsburg. You're fair play to them, though. That's a fantastic result. And that does have Hoffenheim top, you know, with Augsburg second. It might only be match day two, but hey, enjoy it while you can. Uh, Manu, you did a uh, Twitter poll. I'd just like you to explain it and then possibly put the question to James. Um, rather interesting result. Yeah, I did do a Twitter poll. I asked my followers whether they think that uh, Borussia Dortmund can win the title with Lucien Favre in charge. And an overwhelming 91% said no. Um, so the question is, do we think Borussia Dortmund can win the title with Lucien Favre? I, I tend to say maybe not. What do you think, James? Uh, can or Okay, uh, you know what? I'm going to go with my gut instinct here and exactly the thought that came into my head when you first asked the question. I do believe this Dortmund side can win with Lucien Favre at the helm. The reason being, I believe this Dortmund side can win with anyone at the helm. I think they're capable of it. You look at the squad they've got, they, you look at the talent, you look at the potential, and I know they've still got a lot of years. A couple more years, they'll be even better, but they do have the potential to beat Bayern to the title this season. They did have the potential last season as well. And I do believe that, yeah, irrespective of father or not, they can get it done. Um, because for me, I'd say when it comes to Dortmund winning the title, the players and the way they execute on the pitch is much more important than really the tactical inflections that father is giving, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I personally, hope... I can understand, I, and I don't mean to disagree with ninety-one percent. I can completely understand why ninety-one percent are voting that way. But I just, yeah, I, I look at this squad. If if Haaland scores twenty to twenty-five goals this season, if Sancho can recreate his form from last season, if Royce can be an impact player off the bench, uh, you know, and they can keep building, and Bellingham can be this box-to-box, -box and they can maybe tighten things up at the back a little bit. The, it's, the potential is there. The foundation is there. They just need to build on it and they need to capitalize on it. And they've been close, but this season is going to be their best chance to do that. And I, I will say this as well. We're, we're talking about this blip against Augsburg. I will throw into the hat that 
again, the, the overarching theme is coronavirus and the effects that mm. it's going to have on this league. I do think we're going to see a lot more upsets. I think we're going to see a lot more um, losses than we've seen in the last couple of seasons for the big teams. I don't think we'll see a team run away with it. I think it'll be tight at the top and we won't see as many huge point hauls. I just think we're going to have a lot of trickle-down effects and the evidence of that is this result for Augsburg against Dortmund for me. And that's what we want. Honestly. Oh, definitely. Right. Absolutely. And I, I think that's why I think we're going to have a few surprise packages in there. Uh, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but the, the door is open for someone to sneak into the top four, maybe, I think, because I'm not convinced by Leverkusen uh, this season, uh, their transition and the players they sold and whether they're going to be able to get it done. Although I have to say there was a huge improvement against Leipzig. Mm. Um, but, you know, there are teams like uh, Frankfurt, Hertha, uh, Hoffenheim that I think are going to be really in the mix that maybe wouldn't have been if we hadn't had this effect on the league that we're having. Yeah, it's it's a good shout, but then also you look at some of those teams and they might really struggle. Like Hertha is one team where I think they could easily finish in the top four, but also in the bottom four because of all the upheaval, right, and changes that they're making. It's it's really it's I think it's going to be a fascinating year. I'm with you because the the tight schedule will throw up results that we're not expecting, and the fact that there wasn't really of a break between last and this season um, is also is is going to make it even more difficult. And unlike most other years, there's not much of a winter break either, right? So we're gonna go straight through this year. Um, it's going to be it's going to be like driving on the autobahn. You know, you never know what's gonna hit you. It's going to be so fast and i think that's going to yeah it's going to bring up some really interesting results uh i think when i look at the when i look at the teams that could capitalize a little bit from that i i really think leipzig might by the end when the dust settles be the biggest winner of it all because they have a very deep squad probably the best coach and um don't seem to be as affected by all the uh, the, the media hype and everything that's going on around Bayern and Dortmund. Um, I could see them silently sailing past both of them. Um, you know, rotate their squad nicely, use all the squad depth that they have. And they might be the, 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 the smiling third, you know, the, the, the team that, that's going to benefit the most from everything that's happening at the, the big two. Yeah, well, we're going to have to wait and see just um, how this one plays out, obviously. But it's, you know, as as we've been saying, you know, they're going to come thick and fast, these games. Um, as I mentioned, the Super Cup is up next for Borussia Dortmund as they take on uh, Champions Bayern Munich. Uh, but uh, we're going to uh, do some uh, Twitter questions now, a bit of a quick fire run. We've got three questions. Well, some of them are fully loaded, but... James, I'm going to go back to you. The, the the second question that we have here, I'm going to move to first um, because uh, Thomas, um asks um, a little bit following up on, on what you've been saying about who could possibly take advantage this season. And he asks, um, is Hoffenheim the real deal or a challenger for the Champions League places? Uh, how much was the win due to tiredness? Uh, I said, you know, for Bayern, I suppose we've already touched on that. Uh, but he also says uh, Osborne played it very well. But um, then the final question is, what's up with Gladbach? So so let's focus maybe more on Hoffenheim and Gladbach with that question, I feel. Yeah, OK, let's let's do that. Hoffenheim, for me, can definitely be the real deal and challenge, I think. If they can get these pieces in place and Hernes does come with this clever game plan um, that obviously he's done very well to bring across quickly with these players uh, to the point that they've performed the way they have. I mean, there were still a few defensive fallibilities that uh, were evident in the Köln game, um, especially, but 
for me, I think they've got a surprisingly deep squad. They've got a uh, clear philosophy that Hernes has come in and not looked to change drastically. Um, if anything, he's looked to build on. And we talked about, uh, or I, sorry, I talked about earlier the Schalke job being a, a poison chalice. I think we could have said the same with the Hoffenheim job last season. Whoever was taking over from Julian Nagelsmann was always going to fail by comparison. Um, whereas now Hernes almost has a clean slate and he's got a, a similar kind of feel to him that Nagelsmann had. He's this young, unproven coach. Uh, and, and Hoff and I were willing to give him that platform. And we saw what happened with Nagelsmann. And I'm not predicting that'll happen with Hernes straight off the bat. But I do think they can challenge this season. And I'll be honest, the big key to that is Andre Kramaric. If they can keep him fit, he is a 20-plus goal a season striker. Um, and he's already showing it. And, I, you know, at, his, at this rate, he could actually be 25-plus. But if they can keep him fit, then I think they're in with a real chance. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, Kramer had a fantastic game and is so important uh, for that Hoffenheim side. Um, Manu, do, do, what exactly is going on with Gladbach at the moment, uh, may I ask? Uh, just to, to focus on them a little bit more before we move on. We, we've seen them draw against Onion at the weekend. And obviously the opening day fixture was that they lost to Borussia Dortmund. Is, is there a cause for concern there? No, I don't think so. I think Gladbach will be... I personally think Gladbach are going to finish in the top four again. I think Marco Rosa is an excellent coach. I think the schedule wasn't too kind to them to start against Borussia Dortmund, who, who were fantastic in that game, right? And Which makes this defeat to Augsburg even more infuriating for Dortmund fans. But I think Gladbach will be just all right. Um, I think that they, in Marco Rosa, they have an excellent coach. They didn't lose any of their key players. Um, it's not unheard of to have a little bit of a slow start and still be okay. And Union Berlin aren't tough opponent in the Bundesliga. You can't underestimate them, right? So I think personally, I have Gladbach finishing in the top four again. Oh, that's, I, I mean, that's a big shout. Cause I'll be honest, I see them dropping out of the top four, but I think they'll still be okay. Um, and I, I, I put that down mainly to, I worry about Wolfsburg a lot more than I do Gladbach, mm. but I think both are going to suffer a little bit this season with the added burden of European fixtures that I think they were, they were in a position where they could have maybe on an, in a normal season gotten by with the, the means they've gotten the squad depth they've got. I think this season they're going to be even more tested, uh, because of how, how condensed everything's going to be. But, so therefore, I, yeah, I don't. I don't think I fully agree with Manu about the top four, but I do think Gladbach will be more than okay, and I wouldn't read too much into their opening performances in the first two games because uh, they were Turan player were both missing for the first game mm. as well. They're still, back, you know, uh, getting back to full fitness. Their key players, when they are back to full fitness, I think Gladbach will have no problems, and I do agree with Manu. Marco Rules is a wonderful man to have in charge uh, for that club, and I think he's going to steer the ship uh, quite all right. Yeah, they have a lot of quality. That's why I'm not yeah. too worried about them. I mean, even if they don't finish top four, they're probably still in Europe. So. Yes, I agree. That I agree with. There you go, Gladbach fans. A lot to stay positive about. Uh, Manu, we're going to go to you here for uh, Rob Dressel. Asks, uh, three keepers at Bayern. Any thoughts, rumours uh, regarding Ulrich going anywhere or keep three all year? Well, Sven Ulrich was linked to Union Berlin, but they have now signed Karius. Uh, you know, as we record this, that's, that deal is complete. Um, they loaned Karius from, from Union Berlin. There has been some rumors about Stuttgart as well. And I think there's also been some loose links to Schalke, but, um, 
Yeah, it's it's a good question because I personally, if I was in charge of Bayern, if I was Hasan Salihamidzic, I would probably keep Ulreich and send Nübel out on loan to give him much-needed playing time because Manuel Neuer is once again the best goalkeeper in the world and he will try to play every single game he can play. And that's going to make it very difficult for Nübel to get any playing time. Yeah, maybe. Well, Manu, you were talking about the lack of squad depth at Bayern. Maybe they'll end up playing Manuel Neuer outfield, so they need an extra keeper in in the wings. <laughs> you never know. He'd be capable of it. I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, and then that, that he can right <laughs> play him in midfield. Uh, he's your new number six uh, Thiago replacement, Manuel Neuer. But yeah, I, I he will want to play every game this year. I just can't see Nübel getting those. What was it promised? Twelve games a year. I just can't see it. I think I think Nubel will end up very much regretting his decision. Um, and I, I know someone tweeted it on the weekend, but I think he'll he'll be the most disappointed that Manuel Neuer didn't get sent off for that that late yeah. challenge on Babu as well. Um, but yeah, he's going to have a tough time, and I, I I really feel like he maybe had the wool pulled pulled over his eyes a little bit, um, or either that or he had too many dollar signs in his eyes. It was one of the two. Yeah. Um, but long term, it might work out for him. In the short term, he's going to be one frustrated bench warmer. He needs to go on loan. Yeah, 100%. Well, final question, guys. Um, and I'm going to put it to both of you. Just um, as quick an answer as possible as we, we come to the iron mark. And this guy's a nightmare. He's, he's messing me all the time. I've tried blocking him on Twitter. But uh, Chris Williams um, asks, a long-time listener, first-time question asker, which under-the-radar player should I transfer into my fantasy team as a priority? I need all the help I can get. Cheers, Chris UK. Oh, God. Uh, James, um, any recommendations for Chris? <laughs> And, well, if you haven't got Andre Kramerich, get him in your squad as soon as possible. But I don't think he's quite as under the radar as maybe Chris was hoping for there. Um, Fulkrug and Amadou Haidara as potential other options. Don't ask me. Great suggestion. Don't ask me. Don't I, I'm struggling <laughs> as well. Uh, Manu, I think you, Chris, and I all had disastrous weekends. Um, if you're not going to suggest anything, I'll say Max Cruiser. Why not? He, I know he hasn't started the last two games, but you know, for Onion, he's, he's got Mainz and Schalke coming up next, and we all know he can score goals. So hey, why not? You know, if he's ever going to get in the score sheet, it might be might as well be against those two. But um, yeah, that more or less does it for. Uh, match day two and the podcast today James thank you so much for coming on we always uh, appreciate uh, any guests coming on but uh, you're, you're, you're always uh, welcome to come on uh, at any point we'll have you um, so so thanks a lot for that oh it's my absolute pleasure yeah we normally do one a season with me but we've got this one out of the way early so I think we can definitely squeeze another one in before the season ends I hope so. I really do. And I'm sure the guys would agree. Uh, Manu, um, well, I'll, I'll speak to you again rather shortly. So, yeah, as we said, we've got the Super Cup uh, midweek, uh, Borussia Dortmund versus Bayern Munich. And then before you know, we'll be into match day three. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and I'll feed us in.
Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.